morning. Uh, today is the 18th, 19th. I don't know why I can never keep track of the days. Today's Thursday. The Thursday before Christmas. It is right around 620. 27 degrees outside. But no precipitation and no real wind to speak of. So it's actually quite nice. I just know I'm going to go around that second curve and then get hit by all the wind from the main street. But what are you going to do, you know? Uh, also, Paulette mentioned that there was a whole lot of wind noise yesterday. So I'm hoping that the lack of wind will make that better. Hello, moon. Uh, let's see. Had kind of a rough morning so far. Got up at five. Did not want to get up. I uh, went downstairs, wrote about 700 words, then went back upstairs and got a half hour nap. Now that's actually really cool, because that means I got 700 words in half an hour on a day that I wasn't feeling great. It's kind of neat. It's the kind of productivity I, that used to be considered really, really rare for me. I was talking with Nathan yesterday, and he said that, I mean, he finally finished Invito Rex, and I'll get to that in a minute, because that's weighing heavily on me, but uh, he said that he really liked the story, and that he thought this was some of the best work I'd ever done. It was funny, because you could see him trying hard not to insult Hidden Institute or Tumblr or anything, but... But yeah, he seemed pretty certain that this is really the best. And uh, I thought that was really cool. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it, to me that's, that's really cool that I can get up at 5 o'clock. And it's not like I spend the entire half hour writing. I mean, you know, you're trudging around, getting a robe on, getting downstairs, then you gotta go to the bathroom, and then you got you know, just all this other stuff. Even when you're not going to the internet and checking email and all that, you're still just, uh, I guess what I'm saying is that 30 minutes is not 30 minutes. It had to have been like 20, 25. And yet I managed to get 700 words done in that time. So that was pretty cool. And I'll admit, I didn't think they were my best. Um, I think I had some dialect problems with one of my characters. But I keep telling myself, you know, writing is rewriting. This will be fixed in the edit. And uh, so yeah. So that's how I get to not worry about it. And if I end up with 120,000 words after three or four months, then I got plenty to cut. Um, anyway, 
So it's been a rough morning, but looking at it objectively, like from the outside, pretty good, pretty impressive. Uh, let's see. So I mentioned that uh, Nathan read in Vita Rex. And I'll go ahead and tell you, I don't think this is any big shock. It ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. Not that I, you know, not that I wrote the whole thing saying, man, I want to leave this on a cliffhanger, but I, uh, I realized that this is a very, very long story. And um, I don't even know how many books I'm going to be splitting the story up into. But I do know I'm going to be splitting it up into some books. So far, we've got Amido Rex. I'm uh, about a third of the way through the Cut First King. No idea whether I'll be able to finish it in this story or not. But, uh, yeah. Um, so, oh yeah, so cliffhanger. So yeah, I picked a point where it was what they call local maxima. This was the point where big things have happened, but uh, not the big thing, you know, not the reveal, the end. So I picked that point and I said, okay, that is where I'm going to stop on this one. And it happened to be a our heroes in deadly danger. How will they get out of this? Same bat time, same bat channel. And uh, I don't really feel bad about it because you know I actually think that's a good place to end it. Get people wondering. Get people thinking. It's better than. Hey, everything's great. And then in the next book, oh wait, no it wasn't. Or, we've reached our crisis, we've solved it, and now we're just gonna trundle along for a little bit and hope that in the next book something comes up. I've always felt with Nathan's book is an example. It's not about the destination, it's about the ride. Um, the best parts of Envito Rex are not Dizzy trying to get in touch with being a king or Dizzy trying to solve all the problems with the nation, cure all the problems with the wars. That's not what Envito Rex is about. It's about all these families. It's about the infighting, and it's about Dizzy's relationship with them, and it's basically just watching them all work. It's watching Dizzy come to terms with being king, for one thing, but it's not about the resolution of it. So, so for me, we didn't need to know, all right, what happens to the bear? We didn't need to know, you know, 
Uh, I don't want to give away the secret. If you haven't read the in, uh, if you haven't read Invito X, it ends on a big question. But uh, yeah, so for me, cliffhanger wasn't that big a deal. It was just a local maxima, good point to stop. For uh, Nathan, though, I mean, he said if. Uh, he actually said, if this was a paper book, I'd have thrown it against the wall. Uh, he said that he has dropped authors, just stopped reading them altogether for doing something like this. And to be honest, the sheer vehemence of uh, his passion regarding this decision made me question it. Made me go like, yikes. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I should have resolved that little bit. Answered those few questions. Before moving on. I mean, it's too late now. And in about six months, we'll have the next book. How cool is that, by the way? Six months, we'll have the next book. Um, so, in six months, that'll be somebody reading it going like, Oh, man, what happened? I have no idea. Oh, well, never mind. I'll just grab the next one. So. So, in six months, it won't matter. But for right now... I'll admit, I felt bad. Morning. Well done. Well done, little puppy. We just passed up someone and Miss Ripley did not completely flip out. I think the socialization may be good for her after all. So, anyway. There was one good thing about him absolutely hating the ending. And, uh, and that was that he, uh, and he, I mean, I, I noticed it before he did, but he pointed it out as well. I wouldn't have been so mad if I didn't care about the characters and the story. So that's a big deal to me. He said the, uh, unlikable characters were very believably unlikable. He found himself wondering who the major love interest would be. And considering candidates, he, uh, he noticed aspects of the uh, assassination attempt that I missed, and I'm going to need to go back and fix that. 
but uh, luckily I haven't put out the uh, the podcast yet, so a lot of people don't even know about InVitaRex. So if I change it now, there aren't all that many sales that need to be updated. So I got that going for me. Silver linings, I suppose. Anyway, um, he liked Stan and Lou, which I was, I'll admit I was nervous about. By the way, I'm, I'm making a big thing about this conversation because I don't get a whole lot of feedback. I mean, book's been up there for about half a month, a month, and there's not a single review yet. Uh, nobody's writing me to tell me that they like it, nobody's writing to tell me, oh, it sucks. Just doesn't seem to be grabbing anybody's attention. It's not sour grapes, I'm just saying. When you hear back from someone giving you criticism and commentary, it's just like manna from heaven. Writers absolutely love that stuff. So, what else? Um, so yeah, he liked Stan and Lou, which I thought was good because I wasn't sure if they were... I mean, yeah, they're supposed to be like the Greek chorus, but in addition, I mean, when it starts off, it's just a couple of guys who happen to be watching as as Dizzy walks into this building. They're talking to each other as Dizzy gets pulled out of the building. They're just these guys. Then the next time you see them, they're window washers inside the palace. And what's the chances of that? What an amazing coincidence. And the next time you see them, they're like picking up dirt, I mean, picking, uh, picking up trash along the highway, stuff like that. And they always just happen to be on the periphery of whatever's going on around Dizzy. Aw, little pastel bats and hounds. Hello, buddy. I love basset hounds. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, they appear all too coincidentally. They're always just on the periphery of what's going on with Dizzy and always doing their Greek chorus thing. And it makes a body say, this is a little too coincidental. It'd be very, very easy for an author, uh, for a person to say the writer is out of his damn mind. But near the end, one of them says, no, I gotta stop this. And the other one says, nope, don't, you're not allowed. First one says, what do you mean? Darkest hour, right? We're supposed to help. Second one says, nope, it's not time. This story is not about that boy. Honestly, I think that's my favorite line. Every man is the hero in his own story. 
but not every story is about just one man. You say that right at the end of the story. And that makes people think nobody's safe. And when it comes from these two commoners, these two guys who just happen to be in the middle of whatever's going on, it's so much more powerful. Because it's like they are something else. It's the first truly I want to say almost paranormal thing out of that universe. I mean, I know I hang with a bunch of fantasy writers, but in the Noblesse Oblige universe, it's been straight up sci-fi. No magic at all, but these two show up and they're almost mythic in their existence. And I wasn't sure if that would work. You know, you do it very, very subtly. And in fact, apparently, I'm way too subtle for my own good. Because one of my favorite characters, Scepter, he's going through this incredible conflict of interest, trying to justify that. And, uh, you know, Nathan said, actually, I thought he was kind of dull. I don't see any conflict at all. Well, that's because he's been doing the same thing. I mean, Scepter has been dealing with this conflict for 400 years. He's got good at it. Nathan says, good at what? He said, good at fighting this conflict. He says, I didn't see the conflict. I said, I know. I can't actually... You know, I can't make him just say, like, oh, I'm so conflicted, what do I do? you got to put him in situations where he's going to be fighting that conflict, and I didn't do that a lot. Scepter is not a short-term character. He is a marathon character. And uh, we see more of him in the second book, more of his personality. And yes, he does have one. He just tries to hide it really, really hard. But yeah, in Vito Rex, he, he basically insists, I am just Siri. Hello. basically says, I am nothing more than a recorder. It's my function. And I drop a hint by saying that uh, when describing Scepter, I say that he has to be a uh, uh, bastion against the madness of the king. He exists to protect the country from a mad king. But I don't go into how he does that. Does he have actual political power? Does he have to reveal himself? 
does he just silently kill the king in his sleep? That kind of thing. I don't reveal that, and I don't go into the fact that Scepter is constantly evaluating the king. You do mad things, I can remove you. He doesn't describe it, nobody else gets that feeling. So, anyway, so apparently I'm way too subtle about it, which honestly I'm okay with. Because there are enough good characters and good storylines to push it forward. God, I got so many storylines. One of the storylines in the Cut Purse King so far is uh, Scepter just having to find his way home. And while that doesn't sound terribly impressive, you got to realize that it's a, uh, a trinket. It looks like it's made of solid gold, worth a lot of money to those who don't recognize it. Worth a lot of political power. I mean, a ridiculous amount of political power to those who do recognize it. And he has to basically travel by foot to get home. Not to mention that Scepter's duty is to stick with the king. And, uh, when we leave in Vita Rex, we're not entirely sure who the king is. So, yeah. How does he know where to go? What does he know that we don't? 400 years, he can get a pretty good idea. So, yeah, we talked about it for a long time. He was very seriously myth, uh, missed at me. But, uh, and like I said, if I'd seen that level of, see, I had beta readers. They didn't give me that reaction. One of them did the, oh, curse you brand gambling for leaving us on a cliffhanger, but did it in a playful way. Nathan said something that really bothered me. In fact, he said, why did you do this? Do you really have so little confidence in your writing? I was like, this wasn't about my confidence in my writing. This is just where I broke up the story. But, uh, yeah, that kind of surprised me. Then he thought I was doing this just to hook a reader and get the next book 
sold. It was never my goal. I figure if you gotta do that, you really don't. You really don't need to be writing if you have to do that. Anyway. Um, so yeah, that kind of stung. And I really hope the more the readers aren't thinking you're just doing this to sell the next book. So, I guess I have motivation to get the next book out. Got to be more careful about where I split them up from now on. To me, it was no big deal, but then again, to me, I know who lives and who dies. And pulling a Game of Thrones-like ending, probably not a smart move. What else? Went to work. Got my work done. See, George Zimmerman is selling quote unquote fine art. I mean, don't get me wrong, his stuff isn't terrible, but. It's nothing you wouldn't see at any small town gas station. I'm no great art critic, but I think it's safe to say he's no great artist. There's a part of me that actually feels sorry for him. George Zimmerman and the cop who pepper sprayed all the seated kids, both of them complaining, hey, my life has been ruined. It's a part of me that feels bad for them because I do believe that's going to carry with them for the rest of their lives. It's not a big part though. It's not a big part because I also feel like, hey, you made a disastrously bad decision. This is one that was not a big surprise. There were lots of people who could have told you this was a disastrously bad decision. And when you made that choice, you accepted that consequence. I don't think they realize how big a consequence there can be. He's just thinking, a black kid walking around. I don't trust him. I'm going to go tail him. Then later he makes a decision, hey, I'm going to go ahead and make sure that kid knows 
we don't want his type out here. At these points, he's not thinking, hey, I'm gonna take a chance at spending the rest of my life being hated and getting death threats after killing a human being. He's just thinking, I'm gonna hassle the kid. The cop, he was just thinking, he wasn't thinking I'm gonna spend the rest of my life being the poster boy for a fascist police state. He was thinking, these kids were told to do something, and if we just let people walk all over us, then it's never gonna end. So we gotta do what we can, stop it. And besides non-lethal, it'll teach them an important lesson. He wasn't thinking, I'm gonna be paying for this for the rest of my life. Neither one of them was thinking, I'm gonna be paying for this for the rest of my life. And as far as that goes, I feel bad for him. At the same time, I want the world to know. I want everybody to know you are making that decision. You are saying, I'm gonna take a chance with the rest of the world hating me. I want people to think as they're stepping into a conflict, I may not be the good guy in this story. Because I think if more people did that, we'd have more people trying to use something other than an attack to get their will across. And it's talk like that that makes my wife call me a wet liberal. But whatever. So yeah, Zimmerman is selling fine art and the uh, comments on it are just brilliant. Because of course, he is and will always be judged, not by whatever action he's currently making, but by one terrible, terrible decision that he made about a year ago. There's a part of me that wants to say, let those guys be an example. Let us make their lives horrible. Let us let them walk free with the mark of Cain and let every man spit on him and let every man see that he is to be shunned. Stop sign. I admit, that threw me a scare. Saw the stop sign, knew there was plenty of room, figured we were good. Should not have assumed. That was my fault. 
Never assume that the other person knows and obeys the law. Sorry, if you're just getting the audio version, came up to a crosswalk, started walking, there was a SUV truck coming. There was a stop, so I assumed they were gonna stop. And they came to within about three or four feet of me before coming to a stop. So, not to oversell it, but that truck right there nearly killed me. Luckily, my guess is they weren't looking, weren't able to see whatever the deal was. Maybe the brakes weren't completely working, but whatever it was, they didn't stop until the last possible moment. So yeah. I know I'm kind of judgmental about cars while I'm walking around as a pedestrian, but uh, that one was on me. That was all my fault. I should have stopped and waited to make sure that they were going to stop first. That was stupid of me. So that was exciting. Anyway, uh, yeah, so, Zimmerman, yeah, it's okay puppy, Miss Ripley did a good job, I don't think she quite understood what happened, but Miss Ripley was cool, she did not freak as much as I did. Did, however, suddenly decide she needed to poop. So she's playing cool, but really, she's a tumult of emotions deep inside. Tumult, I say. Really? Nothing? Good grief. Alright. Tumult of emotions. So anyway, uh, Zimmerman, it's a part of me that wants to say, let them be shunned. Let them go through life bearing this. Not for them, but for every man who sees them and says, there before the grace of God and goes on to learn, I will not choose this path. I'm not going to pick a fight just so I can use the stand your ground argument. 
Uh, anyway, there's a part of me that thinks that, and another part that's not very proud of that first part. Because you ask yourself, that kind of discussion you're saying, you're willing to sacrifice one person for the good of everyone else. I mean, we're talking about some serious mental anguish this guy's going to go through. But we say that's okay, because he's going to make society stronger. We say that's all right, that we, excuse me, that we put this Zimmerman in serious mental danger. Because yeah, there is a chance that he could get so sick of this, he could kill himself. And even if not, he's going to be seriously warped by the experience. And uh, so, um, as soon as we say it's okay, we can put that person in danger. We can let that person be in danger because they got it coming. They had it coming anyway. They did a terrible thing. They deserve to be made an example of. And if it should help society, all the better. The problem is that we have, to a greater or lesser extent, all of us, failings. And granted, I mean, I may have had years of martial arts training. But I've never gone into a situation saying, it's okay, I can still kick the shit out of them. I've never done that. That's a, that's a last resort kind of thing. That's defense. So, I don't pick fights, you know? Um, I, I don't know what that has to do with Zimmerman. Sorry. Um, point was, as soon as you say you're willing to put that person... You're willing to put a person in danger or cast them out altogether because they made a terrible decision. And you think it's good for society that they should be punished for that decision. And you got to understand, <coughs> we got to do the same thing to Bernie Madoff. And to a lesser extent, we do. We got to do the same thing to Bank of America CEOs. And quick, how many of them can you name? Remember, we got to be shunning them. we got to be doing the same thing to every single person that has put someone else in danger or cost someone their lives. we got to be doing this to Jenny McCarthy. we got to be doing this to Donald Trump. Don't even get me started on George Bush Jr., I'm not saying, let's go out and kill all the celebrities. I'm saying that I don't feel this need to make an example of them. Because I think that need to make an example of them is tied to... I mean, the extreme version of that is tied to some very, very bad decisions. And it's not too far 
from a lynch mob mentality. Anyway, so we're coming up on the door now. And, uh, so yeah, I hope I haven't run you guys off with chattering about my book and giving my odd political views. Let's face it, anybody who's lasted this long knows that I got odd political views. Anyway, I hope that I will be able to talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>